From Media Corp and One Up Media, this is Post Love. Essays on love, life, and everything in between. Maybe it's not marriage. Maybe it's love. I just hope that someday someone would love me. Well, because I've only loved one man. Love. I've got all lunch. I'm never going to feel no other kind of love. I'm not the bad guy, right? I was about to break her heart, but she didn't even know it yet. Instead, she found herself amidst laughter and music at a colleague's house party, despite my earnest warnings against it. Sarah was an intelligent woman, and yet could never take care of herself. It's as if she requires a constant, a compass, like me to navigate the labyrinth of life, filling it with joy and guidance. My name is Robert, and I was not the villain here. Our paths crossed a little over eight years ago at NUS. A common jest among Singaporeans suggests that girls pursued not one, but two bachelors. A humorous take, perhaps, on the dual pursuit of academia and love. Our tradition of university orientation camps often resemble a social lottery, with upperclassmen handpicking the freshest faces from the incoming cohort. These camps are an overnight adventure of camaraderie and exploration, often nurturing the sparks that turn into lifelong bonds. As for myself, I was never in a hurry. I was no life of the party, but I was comfortable in my own skin the quiet, bad boy look that instantly became the quiet, dumb guy look when I met Sarah. Truthfully, I had forgotten most of our banter, but I do remember the one moment that captivated me entirely. It transpired by the poolside of a condominium. Ever get scared you would end up like your parents? She asked, her words so heavy that I almost wish I could sink beneath the waters to avoid a response. But thankfully, Sarah didn't wait for my answer. My father yelled at my mother today. She divulged. I wonder if one day I'll end up as meek as her. Her words struck a chord in me. I replied, Are you afraid that you might not be able to escape their shadows? She laughed, (laughs) acknowledging my succinct summation of her worries. Yes, that's a more elegant way to phrase it. You see, I'm the brains of this operation, I jest, and we shared a moment of light-hearted <laughs> laughter. However, her question had stirred something within me. A fear I hadn't acknowledged before, the fear of becoming a reflection of my own parents. I shared my apprehensions with her, painting a picture of my father, a man driven by an insatiable desire for control and the impact his behaviour had on my mother and me. Surprisingly, the vulnerability didn't strip me of my mysterious charm. Instead, it brought us closer. It was the beginning of our understanding, our shared fear becoming the common thread that brought us together. And so, three months later, 
we were an item. Our initial year was an intoxicating concoction of heady emotions and physical intimacy. The second year offered us a glimpse of our future as a working couple. In our third year, we experienced what marriage life could be like as we whisked our passionate love into America for exchange. Then by year four, our relationship had settled into a serene, companionate love. A love that required few words and yet was profound in understanding. Although, there was one thing for us to discuss. Our careers right after university. I'll be working in Tuas, Sarah announced. Tuas? I guess. Tucked away in the farthest reaches of Western Singapore, Tuas was an industrial sprawl teeming with factories, not exactly a hotspot for young professionals. Sarah explained, That's where the Maritime Company's HQ is located. Besides, the paycheck is quite attractive. What about you? Still in the process, I replied. A couple of places got back, but they are a little far. You know how I want to work in the central business district. Don't worry, babe. Just keep applying. Sarah encouraged. Sarah had this relentless spirit, this refusal to admit defeat. But her breezy, just keep applying, was a reminder of our different perspectives. For me... Each rejection was a millstone, adding weight to my shoulders. After our initial three-year professional journey, Sarah yearned for a change. She sought a sales position within a company nestled in the vibrant heart of the CBD. I was skeptical. Sarah was gentle, averse to confrontations. But her stubborn streaks shone through as she defiantly sent in her application. Surprisingly, she was accepted. Thus began our relationship's downward spiral. Sarah embraced the boisterous culture of her sales job, growing more assertive, boastful, and borderline arrogant. Our meetings devolved into show-and-tell sessions, with Sarah recounting her sales victories and her swift command over first-time clients. Then, there was the drinking. Once a shared pastime from our university days, it was now growing into a concern. I thought she was easily swayed by her colleagues, which I felt led her astray. Hoping to mitigate her shift, I suggested alternatives, even going to the extent of sending applications on her behalf. Our brewing tension climaxed during a planned trip to Europe. Organising the journey was an uphill battle. Sarah, engrossed in her new sales role, insisted that leaving would jeopardise her sales targets. Eventually, she yielded, acknowledging the rarity of our shared free time. Yet, the night before our flight, Sarah vanished into radio silence. Over the next three hours, between checking in and queuing in line, I would call Sarah over and over again. And yet, all were ignored. Part of me even wanted to miss my flight, just to wait for her. But I thought, one irresponsible person was enough. So I departed alone. Only upon landing did I learn about Sarah's intoxicated escapade with her colleagues the previous night. This was not the Sarah I knew. 
Although she managed to catch a later flight, it was apparent that something had changed. Frustration, disappointment, and a desperate need to salvage our relationship led to a radical agreement. I would take the reins of her social life. I started scrutinizing her friends, identifying the toxic influences and distancing her from them. Her colleagues were next, as I dissected their role in promoting her unsettling transformation. As weeks turned into months, we devised a routine that seemed to work, with the Find My Friends app often used to track Sarah. To say it was out of necessity wouldn't be entirely wrong. But this constant surveillance was beginning to drain me. And after another evening of Sarah disappearing into her world, I reached my breaking point. I traced her digital breadcrumbs and found her, as expected, at a colleague's residence, likely lost in another corporate party. My text to her was succinct. I'm on my way. We need to talk. On my drive there, a mixture of emotions churned within me. I could see her morphing, shifting into a new version of herself. Yet I couldn't help but reminisce about our years together, the intimacy that spanned nearly a decade. I decided to base my next move on her reaction. If she pleaded for another chance, I would relent. Give us one more try. But upon reaching her location, I saw her reply. Can we talk on the phone, babe? I'm in the middle of something. The nonchalance in her response triggered a surge of resentment. She was oblivious to the emotional tornado heading her way and she wanted to deal with it over a call? So be it. Hey, babe. I need you to step away from the crowd, Sarah. We need to talk. The apartment is a bit cramped. You can just tell me what's going on. All right. I replied, my tone edged with frustration. You've been changing, Sarah. We've discussed this. You're not the woman I knew. On the other end of the line, I heard the echo of her breath and the thrumming beat of party music. It gnawed at my nerves. You've let yourself go. I thought I knew you back then, Sarah. But it seems you've been hiding this reckless side of yourself all along. You've been so irresponsible. What are you saying, babe? Sarah interjected. This was a newfound habit of Sarah's, interrupting me, and it irked me to no end. You've been unbearable this past year. No, listen to me, Sarah. It feels like I've not just been your boyfriend, but your father and your caretaker. I don't understand why you can't take care of yourself. Quite frankly, I've got no idea how you managed to hit your sales targets. With that, I ended the call. That night, I sought refuge at my friend Rachel's place. I'd let her know beforehand that I planned to break up with Sarah. Upon my arrival, she greeted me with a bottle of whiskey and a comforting smile. I bared my soul to Rachel, recounting the drastic transformation I'd noticed in Sarah. But even as I confided in her, my mind was elsewhere. 
I was waiting for the buzz of my phone for a call from Sarah. Because if she reached out, pleaded for another chance, I'd consider returning. Because without me, she'd be adrift. Because this relationship mattered more to her than to me, didn't it? I checked my phone, only to find that Sarah was still at her colleague's party. It didn't make sense. Maybe I had been too lenient with her. So I sent her one final text. Don't call me babe again. We're done. I'm happier without you. Her response was a single word. Okay. The remainder of that night was mostly a blur. Whiskey flowed like water, and my lips might have brushed against Rachel's more than once. She was that friend, the accomplice of transgressions whenever I found myself single. The morning after brought a searing hangover, but the following days introduced an unfamiliar heaviness, a depressive hollowness. Why hasn't Sarah pleaded for me to return? I asked myself. It was perplexing. I was convinced she needed me more than I needed her. I spent my days catching up with friends, venting my frustrations, yet in every recount, I deliberately omitted one crucial detail. My use of finding my friends. It wasn't that I believed my actions to be wrong. After all, my intentions were benign. But the embarrassment of admitting it, the idea that without context, I might be seen as controlling, was too much to bear. I was not controlling. I was not like my father, not a slave to a compulsive need for control. My emotional turmoil escalated when I met with one of Sarah's close friends, the only one I was still on good terms with. I initiated our meetup, desperate for insights into Sarah's state of mind. To my dismay, Sarah was not only coping well, but thriving. I'm not sure if I should be the one to tell you this, a friend cautiously continued but I think you need to reflect on yourself a little bit. I laughed it off. <laughs> Thanks, but I'm fine. Well, as long as you're fine, she said. Then delivered her verdict. It's just, I've never seen Sarah wanting to escape from someone so desperately. Robert, as a friend, I think you overstepped boundaries. The tracking, the meddling in her social circles, that's not okay. But did she tell you about her drinking and partying? Or about how she missed her flight? I shot back, defensive. She did, but she also shared how she expressed her unwillingness to travel months in advance, fearing it might affect her targets. Her performance at work is important to her. I found myself at a loss for words. I didn't think her friend could understand how profoundly helpless Sarah was and what she truly needed. But I did. 
and I always have since the early days of our relationship. In the first year, we couldn't have had the fairy tale passionate romance if I did not convince her to leave her roommate and stay with me. In our second year, I had to be a tough boyfriend, and I disciplined her when she came late for our date. While this action pained me more than it did her, I've no doubt it instilled the qualities needed to help her clinch her coveted internship. By the third year, she had initially planned an exchange trip to Europe. I had to lay it out plain and simple, urging her to join me in America if her feelings for me were as deep as she claimed. Without my insistence, would she have ever experienced the enchantment of Broadway nights? No. By the fourth year, our relationship had grown in more ways than I could have anticipated. After years of decision-making on her behalf, she had started to trust my judgement implicitly. A quiet agreement and understanding that I knew what was best for her. And this was how she repaid me? By running off drinking and partying, we were happy together, all because of me. So surely, I'm not the bad guy, right? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Post Love, brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by OneUp Media. If you'd like to share some feedback or share your own stories, drop us an email. Our email is found in the description. This episode is produced by Guang Jin, script by RC, edited by Alex, audio experience by Ethan Sam, additional engineering by Ashley from 1UP Media, voiced by Gloria. Special thanks to executive producers Danny Cordy from MediaCorp. We hope to see you again soon in the next episode of Post Love.